The reading is from Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, and is on page 812 of your Pew Bible. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Word of God, Word of Life. Thanks be to God. You likely are familiar with how the Bible begins in the book of Genesis, that in the beginning the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. A less poetic way to say that would be, in the beginning there was nothing. Not a zip, zilch. Zero. It was dark, silent. Nothing had ever been, and there was nothing. So now I'm going to ask that you put on your imagination hat for me. I don't do this to you very often, but are you ready this early in the morning? Imagine being that nothingness. I'm not even sure exactly what I'm asking you to do here. When I did this myself, it was like asking myself to imagine myself before I was born. Like, what does that even mean, right? Imagine being at nothingness when there was no there there. Maybe imagine being the earth in the midst of the nothing, a formless Void? As I did this, I thought about, like, that it was cold. But there wouldn't even be that, right? There's just nothing. So now imagine in the midst of nothing, what would it feel like to have life come upon you? God said, let there be light, and there was light, and with that comes day and night. What was Nothingness becomes, it becomes full from being empty. It becomes sound from being silence. It becomes smells. It becomes active. Seasons become, from the very soil eventually become humans. The waters become full of life. Light becomes into the darkness Imagine how that would feel to be the earth, sprouting trees, 
having weather, supporting life where there was none, having this purpose instead of being nothing, doing nothing for nothing. I imagine it would feel like being stranded on a deserted island, no relationships, no prospects of a future, no purpose but to survive. And for what? This becoming would feel like sitting there alone, looking out at the distant horizon to see a light coming at me, coming all the way to me, for me, welcoming me aboard to bring me back to the world, back to life where relationships happen, where nothingness gets left behind. In Genesis, a mighty wind swept over the face of the nothingness. Maybe you know what it feels like to have your breath taken away. What would the opposite feel like? To be given breath. That's baptism. It's the opposite of it took my breath away. Those breathtaking moments stun us, immobilize us. We can't think, speak, or act. Baptism is the exact opposite. Baptism gives us true thoughts, good news to speak, and good works to do. Baptism is our individual Genesis moment when the very breath of God sweeps over the face of our nothingness and begins a new creation in each of us. Each of us is a formless void, and in baptism our lives are given a shape, a form, a purpose. This text from Mark that includes his version of the baptism of our Lord, it's the moment when God defines the relationship that exists between Jesus and the Father through the Holy Spirit. It's a defining moment in the Gospel of Mark. If you're writing a gospel like really any other thing that any of us write, you're supposed to try to catch people's attention early. You're supposed to try to state your thesis almost immediately, right? That's what Jane Ducell taught me in high school advanced composition. And if you had Ms. Ducell, you knew that's what you were supposed to do. So the first things we hear in each gospel tell us a lot about what means the most to each gospel writer. So in Matthew, for example, obviously he wants to connect and include Jesus to the whole history of God's people, right? To legitimize Jesus' human story that includes Josiah and King David and Ruth all the way back to Abraham himself. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, wants to make a big deal about the birth of Jesus. God become flesh. Obviously, we find that story compelling as over a thousand of us came to worship a couple weeks ago to hear about it again on Christmas Eve. John, the Gospel of John, wants to make the point that Jesus is not just human, not only to be celebrated for becoming flesh, but is also God. And so the first thing John wants to say is that Jesus was at creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is Jesus. So each gospel has its own priority about what they want to say first to catch our attention. Mark is the author of the first gospel, the oldest gospel, and he doesn't tell a birth story. He says nothing about the 42 generations of people who precede Jesus. 
as Matthew tells us, from Mother Mary all the way back to Father Abraham. Instead, the first thing Mark wants us to hear is that John the Baptist is preparing the way of the Lord. And in just the ninth verse, we hear that Jesus is baptized. It's by telling this story that Mark is able to tell us the thing he really wants to tell us, that this Jesus is the Son of God, the Beloved, capital B. Our church did four Sundays of Advent, remembering and noticing all the reasons we're excited for the coming of Jesus. And then we did all the Gloria-ing the church does to celebrate the 12 days of Christmas. Now we come into that time of year when we ask again, what child is this? What child is this? Who is this Jesus? That's the thing Mark is most excited to tell us. This Jesus is God's Son, the Beloved, the one with whom God is well pleased. The baptism of our Lord, which is what we're celebrating today, explains identity. But notice that for Jesus, this is not his origin story moment that every Marvel superhero has. Peter Parker, anybody who knows anything about Spider-Man knows that he gets bit, right, by a radioactive spider, and that's how he becomes Spider-Man. Steve Rogers is rejected by the army during World War II, but then gets into an experimental chamber where he goes in looking like me and comes out Captain America. Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk. Natasha Romanova becomes Black Widow. Jesus of Nazareth does not become beloved. Baptism is not a magical transformative machine for Jesus as if he was not the Son of God before this moment. Jesus did not need to be baptized in order to attain power. This baptism simply and in truth declares identity. And that identity is best described by a relationship. Son of God. Beloved. That's what child this is. He is Jesus, Son of God, beloved. And the reason the church celebrates this moment is that it's not only a nice moment for us to observe between God the Father and Jesus the Son of God, like, oh, God the Father loves him. The church celebrates the baptism of Jesus because his baptism becomes our baptism. His relationship with God the Father becomes our relationship with God. Jesus does not keep his identity to himself. Jesus, child of God, makes a way to share his identity, his relationship to God the Father with us. When we are baptized, and I know this is kind of hard to take in, so try for me, but when you or I are graced with water and the word, we're ushered into this identity that Jesus has. Like, in addition to our own name tag as we stroll around God's creation, we also get to wear one that says, Child of God, Beloved. By bringing us into this Child of God, Beloved relationship, we're given the same access to God the Father 
that Jesus has. Same proximity, same eternalness that Jesus has. And so on June 19, 1977, I was identified as child of God, beloved. That's what baptism is for us. Nothing more, nothing less. We're put into the identity of Jesus, which is why we call ourselves the body of Christ. Baptism does not magically protect us from anything, though. Jesus wasn't. He got executed on a cross. Baptism also does not promise us wealth or health. Not everything in this life goes swimmingly just because you or I are baptized. But don't sell it short either. Because although baptism does not provide superpowers or guarantee happiness, what it does is far more meaningful, important, and lasting. Because just like that light of a boat approaches the deserted island, bringing rescue, ready to return any of us to life and love, baptism comes to us and declares an identity, whether you were old enough to remember it or not. God's voice will be heard later this day through our body of Christ at First Lutheran as we get to proclaim Hank and Riley, our newest siblings in Christ, as they will be called child of God, beloved. And it's not like they or any who are baptized have to first pass a test or prove their worthiness or promise perfection, for that matter. John the baptizer, he was announcing an opportunity for everybody, a baptism of repentance, which was a lot like a lot of the opportunities I'm coming across on my phone this time of year. I don't think I'm the only one. Do some self-improvement. Make a New Year's resolution. Do better. A baptism, a baptism of repentance is not God's work. It's ours. A promise that we're going to try harder to follow. And those kinds of resolutions and intentions can be important because changed behavior can change lives. But this baptism of Jesus, it's far greater than life changing. It's life giving. Where there was formless void, there becomes shaped substance. Where the only thing guaranteed was death, there is now a new singular guarantee, life. In the child of God's status of Jesus, there is forevermore identity and purpose for each of us and for all of us together. And the best part is, we don't have to come up with any of this for ourselves. We don't have to earn our way to the font. Baptism is simply given to us. God gives us this access, this proximity, this eternalness with no strings attached so that we would live free, free from fear, free from our own nothingness, free from all the darkness this world tries to put on us but can't. Because in baptism, we've already put on the bright light life that is Jesus, Son of God, beloved. Thanks be to God. Amen.